A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Josh Brown. Scott Telford. It's gaming. It's time for the gaming. Don't know if you need some gaming, but I've got some gaming. I love gaming, Scott Telford. <laughs> I love talking about gaming with you and discussing all the latest gaming stories. How Same. many times can we get this word in an introduction? I don't know. Gaming. I was watching something the other day with Kevin Butler, who I sent to you. Now, Kevin Butler was an incredible PR man uh, for yes. Sony yes, back yes, in the PlayStation yes. Move days. And he came out and he said, um, I love gaming. And that was the best thing that Sony ever did in a PR context. Now, we do have news bits to get to, but we're also going to cover some video games that we've been playing, and by we, I mean me. You. Because um, you're in between games at the minute. You're waiting for something to grab you. Maybe Stray will grab you. Maybe it will. You Maybe. know, I'm looking forward to getting back into the game. It's, it's probably going to be the Elder Scrolls Oblivion, I thought but it also might be. Stray will definitely be on there, because that's out next week, it and is. I want to just mess around being a cat. It's too hot to play a video game, Scott. <laughs> it's like, and all of you Americans listening to this are going to say, oh, it's only 30 degrees in your flat. Or just but any tropical country. I want to I wanna, I wanna clarify this. Yeah. Our UK houses and flats, they're not built for the heat. No. They're not built to be air-conditioned. Really. They're barely built. They're built to keep warm thin. <laughs> so when it's 30 degrees in my flat, there's no way to get that air out. No. And therefore, I am sitting around with a hot flannel on yes. my head. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Sweatcast, as we try and get through <laughs> as many things as possible. I did want to touch on, um, technically it's a 2022 game, but it's from 1997. Is that right? The Blade Runner Enhanced Edition, um, which launched in an abysmal state. Um, we're quickly going to cover this stuff, then we'll get to as many bits of news as possible, but um, the Blade Runner game is like one of the most cult classic PC, initially PC releases of all time, like obviously came out a good 15 years after the movie did, um, but it's sort of like a side story you play as McCoy, you still are a Blade Runner, you're investigating different crime scenes and stuff um, and it's a point and click adventure, and that game always was known as having a really good atmosphere it looked a lot like the Blade Runner, the movie itself and um, it has a really cool soundtrack that's sort of made to ape the Vangelist original one, and then the re-release I was really psyched for this, because I always loved the look of it, but I had nothing to play it on other than now my Steam Deck. Hmm. But I thought I'd get the Enhanced Edition. Um, but like I said, that this thing has launched in a horrific state. It's just been patched as of like two or three days ago when we're recording this. But the game uh, launched in a state that was just buggy as hell, had multiple frame rates on display at the same time. Characters are moving a different frame rate to the backgrounds. Um, very, very glitchy, very buggy. The audio was terrible. Um, the actual graphics that you were looking at, the actual pre-rendered backgrounds were barely legible. And all of this came from developers Night Dive having, to, having no access to the original source code. Apparently oh, okay. EA or whoever lost it uh, back in the day and they had to recreate the game from scratch essentially just going through the original and trying to recreate it and then um, they were about to release that version of the game which in theory would have been better than the 1997 one um, and something happened near launch where um, the publishers decided that actually they should just, just include the original one again because this weird remake thing isn't where it's at right. and so PC people got given a split release of both at the same time, console people got given the half well not, not half bait because they've put a lot of time into it 
Um, but that version, the fan remake one, and so that's what's on consoles. And so the original one that's touched up is on PC. Right. But it's all over the place. So which one are you playing? It again? So I'm playing on uh, the PlayStation 5. Okay. Uh, it's a PS4 version, but on PS5. Um, and I think it's fine. I think since the patches, I think it's playable enough, especially if you go in knowing that it is a broken as hell original 1997 point-and-click adventure game. Um, the stuff that it nails, which is the visuals, uh, the overall atmosphere of Blade Runner, and especially the music, I think work nicely enough. And the whole game is uh, voice acted. You know, you are playing as a Blade Runner. You are just doing detective stuff. And I think they do it very, very well. Like, I've only played the first 40-ish minutes of it. Yeah. Um, but they give you free reign of, like, you are McCoy, you are the detective, you look a lot like Deckard. And you can just go place to place and do whatever you need to do. It's been a long time since I've watched the original Blade Runner, mm. Scott. Who is McCoy? Please uh, well, he's not fill in. me in here. This oh, is a whole side in. thing. So, oh, like, I thought he might have been like a side character that's mentioned in that movie. So. But, okay. That's the thing. So, like, but that's that's what they do is a lot of locations mirror stuff from the movie. Like you're checking in with your sergeant at the um, police station. It's the same room that Deckard goes to when he meets his sergeant. Right. Um, and they say, like, oh, is such and such not at work today? And it's like, oh nah, he's not in today. And so it's kind of like a parallel like story to the to the main game. Um, but yeah, they, they hit those beats pretty well. I'm not going to spend too long on it, other than to say that it has been patched. If you were ever interested in this game, and it does have a reputation as being one of the coolest movie tie-ins that actually got it right. Um, they have patched it enough where I would say it's playable, just know that it's rough overall. Yeah. Um, but the frame rate is now solid, thankfully. Um, and, you know, the audio's been cleaned up, and the textures are better, but not great. Um, but, yeah, the actual story, um, and the reason I was like, this is so cool, is um, like in the movie. You know in the movie when there's, like, that robot snake that that woman has, and Deckard goes to talk to her, and then she's like, oh, actually, that the parrot's not real either. And yeah. there's, like, this weird animal robot trade going on that we never really get into in the movie at all. Um, this game opens on that and there's like a murder at like an animal um, retailer I guess um, and so you go there as McCoy and you're trying to solve this uh, this murder and I just think it's really really cool in terms of you know you ask the dude that works there to pull the footage off a surveillance cam and then I knew because I'd previously gone back to McCoy's apartment that he has one of those weird zooming machines that is from the right, movie right, right, um, right. which has gone down in movie entertainment history as one of the worst machines ever because <laughs> it takes forever yeah. to zoom into anything but at the same time if you're a Blade Runner fan it's kind of cool using that using the footage that you just got from the crime scene with the game not telling you anything in terms of tutorials um, to a fault to be honest the inventory I've still not figured out but there's that you take the stuff back to your apartment you put it in the machine and you start zooming in and you realize who the culprit is yeah. um, and you then get in, and then McCoy's like give me a hard copy of that and you take that and that's where I am I'm like I need to take this to someone this and is I, cool man I checked in with my police chief and it gave me the same dialogue as before I'm like I've got the culprit mate do you not want to <laughs> do you not want to help me no but he doesn't he doesn't want to help me this is fascinating because I uh, I love like movie tie-in games yeah. and I feel like I've played a lot of the very best but mm. I had never even heard of this Blade Runner side story uh. until you mentioned it last week or whenever it came out mm -hmm. and considering the amount of lists that I've done for this website <laughs> both you know adapted from other writers and written myself mm. I can't believe I had never come across this until you mentioned it and now now that it's patched like you say uh -huh. I'm fascinated by this man because I, cool. I like an old school kind of like adventure game and I'm a big fan of Blade Runner and like you say you know if you're a fan in, in that world mm. it sounds like it's a uh, really tantalizing in the way that it lets you go through some of those locations, interact with a lot of the uh, mechanics the ephemera of that, or the ephemera of, of that world. I'm, you piqued my interest there. Dude, I think it's worth playing. I mean, it's only like eight pounds. Like, right. it's very, very cheap release. Um, it's Like I said, I, it was one of the games that I, I grew up wanting to check out. And like, well, not grew up in full. I didn't see Blade Runner until like 2014 or something. But overall, it's always been one of those games that gets talked about. Like I said, it's like a really cool, solid tie-in. And I always like the 
idea of it when I got into Blade Runner and I watched 2049 and whatever, and I was like, it's a shame that this isn't available. So when they randomly said, because I wasn't following the, the PC side of things, apparently this remake, uh, the fan side of it, the dev side of it, um, has been in the works from GOG.com, goodoldgames.com. I think they helped put together the money to get this thing um, off the ground. And so people have known about it for a little while, but point being that this old school, like classic cult classic game is finally available on new consoles, and it seems to be over the hump of its initial release. Um, I think it's playable enough. Um, just get ready for some rough edges. But I mean, it's 1997 point and click. Like, what else do you, what else if do you want? enough people buy this, will they do the same thing for Blade Runner 2042? What do you mean, in terms of a game? Yeah, can we get a spin-off for the better Blade Runner movie, is, is what I'm saying. Like, is there you a know, spin-off to that movie? No, uh, where? There's a sequel. There's a whole sequel, my friend, to Blade Runner. No, no, Runner I know, 1. but there's no, there's no other game type. This is what I mean. If so, if enough people oh. buy this remaster, if enough people <laughs> buy this remake, will that encourage them to do the exact same thing for the better Blade Runner movie? I wish, and also you could save on animation costs because Ryan Gosling doesn't move. <laughs> he can just do one face for the whole movie. No, the Ryan whole Gosling game. is good, man. Ryan Gosling is fine, but he's made a career off standing still. That's hey. just what that dude does. No, 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 no. Yes, I will yes, not yes. be having this. If you watch Crazy Stupid Love. He's very no. animated in that movie. In The Nice Guys, he does a big scream and his face goes all strange. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing up for my guy, the Goz. He's uh, big Goz. Ken, him as Ken in the upcoming Barbie movie will win all of the Oscars and will be uh, my infatuation point for the next 10 years. That's I'm a poison guessing. to me. That's I, a poison. I remember mean, when I, this is like when I describe a grid-based, turn-based game to you <laughs> and you just sort of die and go, I'm never going to, I'm never going to touch that. I'm never going to ever see that in my life. Um, but yeah, so I've been playing the Blade Runner Enhanced Edition and we'll get into some, uh, some news points and stuff. Um, which is to say, because we didn't cover this on last week's main podcast or the wind-up, uh, God of War Ragnarok finally got its 2022 release date as November the 9th. Very much felt like Sony responding to the overall conversation on Twitter of people just saying, what the hell's going on? And the amount of absolute dicks harassing Sony Santa Monica for the release date yeah. and harassing the devs themselves. Obviously, F all those guys. At the same time, overall, they needed some clarity on when the game is coming out. And we finally got a CG trailer, which made me deflate entirely because I was just like, uh... Scott this and I is, had an exchange because you were off work on Wednesday as yes, you were wanting to me. do when the, when the trailer dropped. And I was like, Scott, 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 uh, release date, new trailer. Yeah. And you're like, woohoo! Oh my God! And then, like you said, as soon as you saw it was a CGI trailer, I got the message uh, like, oh, oh, okay. is this all we get? I, conversely, <laughs> was very hyped. Yes, it wasn't the best CGI trailer in the whole world. No. However, dude, like the, the, like the closer we get to this game, the more excited I am. You know, we've right. talked on this podcast and, and in videos so much about how we kind of know what it is. You know, we weren't mm. blown away by the first uh, look at gameplay that we got last year. However, just the fact that the God of War sequel is now, now has a date, is now coming <laughs> definitely within a few months. It I should can't mean help. something. It, 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 I'll tell you now, it yeah. means something to me. <laughs> it means something to me. I wish I felt anything for it. Oh. And it's like, God of War 2018 is literally my favorite game of the last 10 years. It's literally, I think it's the best game of the last console generation. I think it's an immaculate piece of entertainment overall. I feel nothing for Ragnarok, not a goddamn thing. And I don't know why. I think I don't know if it's the mix of the, the split release, knowing it's come on PS4, that I can't take advantage of the PS5, or just the way they've handled the rollout. 
The fact right. that they went like, well, all they ever had prepped according to the insiders was a blog post anyway. So I'm like, what? He, what is that? And then like, okay, enough people kick up a stink on Twitter and they go, ah, here's the CG trailer. Like, and it's like 15 seconds. Well, yeah. What is going on with this game? Listen, there's not. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with this game at the moment in time. They, I worry, they, I do. They, they announced uh, enough in that last reveal. They announced mm. the release date. We got the CGI trailer and we got a look at the collector's edition, all of the stuff that comes Which with those. Very good. Uh, different versions of that the dice, game. mate. And it's like... Beautiful dice. It's, it's a good dice. It's yeah. a very good dice. Uh, and I'm sure we will see more gameplay the closer we get to the release date. We're mm. still, you know, like five months out. There's enough time to properly get into the meat of the title. There is. And yeah, I, I guess, you know, they, could they have a better showing? Yes, they could. Am I still <laughs> excited? I absolutely am. I've been talking to your friend and mine and our fellow colleague, um, Adam Nicholas, mm. who works over on the wrestling channel mm-hmm. because he's been going through God of War 2018 for the first time and just kind of like hearing him talk about it and recount uh, his experience through the game. Like that was enough to get me absolutely buzzing with the <laughs> idea of a sequel. And I went back to watch the first trailer, mm. uh, the proper one with like Freya and stuff. And I'm just, I'm, I'm all in, man. I, I didn't think I was going to be after just seeing one CGI trailer, but I'm I'm here for it. And now that we have a date, and now I can officially allow myself to look forward to it, mm. I definitely am. The thing is, like, Sony very, very rarely dropped the ball. Like, it's only really been Destruction All-Stars and Concrete Genie. Everything else, they land. Even if it's a safe landing, like Horizon, they land. And so, like, they'll, they'll it'll be f- great. I'm sure it'll be fine. I just think that the rollout is weird. And it's only me personally. I'm a very, I'll only get excited when the thing is right in front of me person well like, even if i'm going on holiday i'll get a, i'll get psyched when i'm on the plane when i see the country out the window okay and i know i'm gonna go there that's when i get excited and so like this thing it's just the roller of it's weird the unboxing i thought had more to it than the cg trailer i had more like you know teasers of plot stuff in terms of the um the runes that are on the the, the special box itself that it comes in and then there was some uh, leaked artwork i forget which region it came from but the um artwork for the box showed um kratos, kratos atreus and freya and in the collector's edition um they've done three pins. There's a one for Kratos, Atreus, and Freya. Right. That's a hell of a... Kratos, Atreus, and Freya. <laughs> yes. Atreus? Atreus. Yes. Uh, and Freya. And so it seems like they're doing more with Freya overall. Maybe she's playable. Maybe something like that. And I mean, that's why you would hold off because you don't want to give that stuff away. Yeah. And it, there's this whole sort of conversation around the next generation of this franchise. What do you do with these characters and how do you like take it forward? Yeah. Is Kratos retiring, let's say, as a character? Is he going to die or whatever, like in the mural at the end of the 2018 game? And so I'm just so curious as to what the hell the setup is yes. other than just more God of War and just in general and like, well, maybe it's just a personal thing more of that thing you like is not going to get me excited what makes me excited is not necessarily what they've shown mm. it's kind of the way that, that the game has been talked about both internally and externally mm-hmm. for instance in the run up to the reveal for the trailer last week Jason Schreier was tweeting out about the stuff that he had heard about the release date mm. but he also added a little bit um, on to his tweets that kind of referred to his sources and what they had been telling him and apparently you know everyone within Sony Santa Monica is like really excited for the Mm. game you know and have the same level of excitement that they had for the 2018 title which obviously yeah apparently it's huge apparently the enthusiasm is good internally they think they've got something special Mm. which is always good to hear and that makes me excited what I'm also excited about is that yes it is more God of War maybe in terms of the combat or whatever but I like that this is being treated like a climactic story event as well. You know, they've talked Mm. before about how they want to do a two-parter rather than spread it out to a trilogy. And that's not to say there's not going to be more God of War games, but this specific kind of Norse mythology era is a two-parter. I absolutely missed that. Did you really? They've said this is the last one. 
not uh, like ostensibly story wise. Yeah, I think it was a few years ago now. Uh, they, uh-huh. they said that obviously, you know, like I said, God of War may continue, but in terms of this specific story that they're telling now in this specific realm, mm. I'm pretty sure that they said, you know, that does ring a bell. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're going to just make it a two parter rather than drag it out another four or five years to get the ending of the story. I think it might have been Co- Cory Barlock, or mm. I might be misquoting someone else who said, like, look, these games take so long to make now. Do we want to be working on one story for 15 years? You know? <laughs> Why not just make two games and make them huge and have it be a conclusion? Because I um, kind of thought, I remember that's this now, sorry, because that's just been, that's just not been mentioned, like, right. you know, in terms of this game's rollout of like the climactic ending or the climactic second half or whatever. I guess they'll do that towards the time, nearer the time. Um, I think I remember when that initial, that like quote came from Balog a good few years ago. Um, because in 2018's God of War, they tease like four of the locations that they could go to when you go down to like Tia's vault and there's various symbols that show like ancient Japanese mythology or Irish uh, or Celtic mythology. Um, and stuff like that that I think they could do. One of them is like a Christian symbol. So like right. if Kratos is going to batter Jesus, then like I'll <laughs> probably take that. But um, yeah, so I'm just like, there's there's more they could do with the franchise. They've definitely teased it. Um, but yeah, the fact that they this has more to land in regards to that, like sort of round off the other half of what we set in motion from the first one um, is more exciting. But I wish they would say that more <laughs> because that stuff's just kind of out there in the ether, like everything else with God of War, God of War Ragnarok. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. A a little bit, but like I say, you know, I don't know where they're going to go after this game. I know I'm getting Mm. a bit ahead of myself. Like you said, there are so many opportunities for different eras and whatnot. Mm. And what I'm wondering, is this the last game that we see Kratos in? You know, we've had this character for so long. Mm -hmm. Like you said, that mural at the end of the first game hinted at his demise. I Mm. know the dude has quote-unquote died many times before and has dragged himself (laughs) literally out of hell, but maybe we (laughs) finally see... Yeah, he literally does. Uh, (laughs) But maybe we actually see some kind of finality with his character, and maybe we get the baton passed to a Freya or I'm a, guessing Atreus. Atreus, and Freya. yeah. You know. But the thing, if like, Kratos, if that mural is correct, then Kratos becomes Jormungandr, which like right. means that he's still part of the world anyway. So he's the literal world serpent or whatever. So it's like you could do the whole he lives on thing, but he's I, not. You know, you can't talk to him anymore. This is what I'm excited much. for, man, because I remember after God of War came out, and there were all of these discussions about the law. Like, it, what does uh, you know Atreus being Loki mean? Does that mean he's going to be the world serpent? How does Kratos? Loki's horse is on the collector's edition mural. Right, right, So right. eight-legged horse is right there. <laughs> there we go. Like, the, the the story in terms of, like, the actual mythology of these uh, characters mm. is so nuts. Yes. Like, I just, I'm excited to see how that's going to be translated because if you read some of the twists on paper that happened uh, within North m- mythology, like, it's... Oh, they're ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy. And I'm, like, I'm how sure Loki you... birthed that horse, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> I, think, I can't remember if it's, like, he married the horse. <laughs> I think he birthed the serpent. I think the serpent... He birth. It's so <laughs> it's so confusing. I remember talking about it at the time. Anyway, there, there are more authorities on this than I. Yes. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how they incorporate that because one of the best parts about God of War 2018, not to make this a God of War 2018 <laughs> podcast, was how they weaved in that mythology and made yes. it interesting within the kind of storytelling devices and especially Mimir, who was often regaling uh, tales of Odin and Thor and all the other gods and, you know, the history of this realm mm-hmm. to Kratos, who was obviously a newcomer to it, and I want to see more of that going forward. Yes, I'm uh, I'm just curious. I wish I was more excited. I think I just need more stuff, and maybe that's going to be a state of play on Ragnarok or something, but the way that they're handling the rollout, I think, is quite bumpy. I think when they, when we get close to launch, it'll just blow all that stuff away, but that's I, I can't not be honest about where I'm at right now, yeah. which is just wanting more stuff or more clarity on what the hell's going on with the overall production of the game. Um, 
Um, next news thing, though, is also another Sony one. Um, this is Sony's Robert Morrison, um, who's one of the Sony Bend employees. Um, responding to the overall accusations that Last of Us 1 Remake is a cash grab, um, he says it's far from that. He says, actually, it's the most meticulously built and crafted project that I've ever seen or been part of in my career. The highest level of care and attention to detail possible. Does that do anything for you? It does. <laughs> and I can tell by your tone, my friend. Do you want hyper-rendered eyes? <laughs> do you want pupils that dilate? Oh, I do. God. I really do. I want to look it's at them gaming, in videos apparently. up close. Those earlobes, if you we, put a light behind them, they shine through. We, <laughs> we, we wind each other up on this show quite a lot. Uh, hence, hence the oh. title. And I don't think we are as split on anything in this world <laughs> than the attention to detail in certain games when it comes to those you not uh, thinking Thor Love and Thunder was a zero star <laughs> film that's another one dude it's a fine two and a half star no, movie no it's not yeah we'll get on to this MCU is dead time. the MCU is it's still alive but it needs to <sighs> kick up the ass anyway not the point what I was talking about is ear cartilage yes. in video games <laughs> uh, ear because cartilage I love I love that stuff I love the attention to detail in the likes of Naughty Dog or Rockstar Games mm-hmm. I think it adds a certain level of immersion but when it comes to, to The Last of Us Part 1 um, I'm excited for that game because obviously I love that series Mm. I want to see what they've added to it Mm -hmm. and I do think that from what we've seen so far uh, from the first trailer that they have shown off that the graphical update looks substantial especially when you compare it to the remaster I think you know at the time there were a lot of people saying oh these look uh, too similar and I'm like they kind of do but think about what we're comparing and I mentioned this before you know but a lot of people are comparing the pre-rendered cutscenes from the PS3 game which were incredibly high fidelity because they were pre-rendered to the in-game in-engine cutscenes from the Last of Us Part 1 uh, remake and I'm like that's that to me isn't just them kind of being flippant or kind of phoning this in and giving us something that doesn't look that much better Mm -hmm. like the change in technology to accomplish what they're accomplishing now is is huge and from what you know this employee is saying like I, I I do feel that yes I it might be you know pointless in a way like I'm not saying this justifies the be. existence of it at all mm. but I don't think you can doubt the craft that's gone into its production no I mean that's the thing Naughty Dog and Rockstar although Rockstar are kind of just a different beast these days but if you go with Naughty Dog they might be the single most meticulous studio on earth like in terms of you look at Last of Us 2 the amount of detail that's in that thing and it's all like, like you can go run the gamut of essential detail to extraneous stuff to whatever wherever you look in that game someone has really sort of slavishly gone over every single aspect of it whether it's a leaf some details and pattern on a leaf or like the fact that the pupils dilate when the light changes depending on where a certain character is standing and that stuff is impressive I just don't care I just I do not care like I cannot that has nothing to do with gameplay whatsoever so for me I want to know what they're doing with the gameplay because um, they've said that it has revamped combat or something like that. And I always liked Last of Us Combat. I, I was never, um, I never got the criticism of that game's combat. I always th- thought that it was nice and chunky and weighty and Joel felt like you were this sort of like walking battering ram that you were just piloting at people and yeah. smushing them against the wall and do a 180 and shoot like three more guys. And I thought that worked really well. So I'm curious what they've done to it in that regard and how much they've, um, if, if they've taken Last of Us 2's engine and then put that into the spaces from Last of Us 1. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm with you. I never had a problem 
problem with mm. the original game's kind of uh, gameplay and flow instead of mechanics. In fact, I, rem- I remember being blown away at the melee system in that yeah. game in terms of how you can interact with the environment and how it felt so natural and flowing. That said, I did have a problem with the gameplay after I played The Last of Us Part Two, Right. And I played them both back to back because I remember jumping into the second game to mm. review it, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, this feels very much like the original. They haven't changed all of that much. Right. And that's just because I must have embellished my <laughs> memories of the original game because when you play them back to back, it's night and day. Yeah. Obviously, they're the same set of mechanics, but elaborated on so much mm. that they feel like two radically different experiences. And if you incorporate two's kind of changes in its updates to one, mm. I just think you have like... It's already one of the best games ever made, but now you kind of solve the quote-unquote problem that a lot of people had with the first game, and mm. that's how it played. You know, people kinda, just wanted to get through that to get to the story. Yeah, so that was it. I mean, I, yeah, like I said, I always liked the combat, but it was quite chunky, as opposed to in 2, there's like a fluidity to everything that Ellie does or Abby does, where you can just go like up over different things. There's a verticality to the, the way you approach enemies and stuff. I wonder if they have redesigned certain areas, like the hotel fight in Last of Us 1 was the thing that was in the initial reveal trailers and everything. And I, like I said, I always liked that fight, but some people, that's why they broke on the game. Our own Adam Cleary was like, this is just going on and on and on. Right. And um, But I always liked that stuff. And I think that, um, you know, if you bring in Last of Us 2 stuff, then maybe there's an assumption that they've remade, or, re- like, you know, they've done something with the geometry of those levels to give you more hiding spots or to give you different ways to approach, like dropping down from one level onto a guy straight through the floor or something like that. Yeah. Like um, stuff that's in Last of Us 2 that makes it feel like Last of Us 2 combat. Um, there's a Twitter account called Sunny Legend who just puts together really well choreographed um, game fights that he like puts together them uh, puts together themselves. Um, and their Last of Us stuff is such a good showcase of just how much you can do in that game, right? Yeah, because um, it never gets like shown off as like a combo heavy game, but you can play it like that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Well, I remember when, you know, The Last of Us Part 2 got one of its first gameplay demos. Mm. Everyone on Twitter was kind of kicking crap out of it, saying like, <laughs> oh, this is not possible. Yeah. The game will never look like this. This is, you know, pre-rendered mm-hmm. scripted. It's never going to work like this. Mm-hmm. And then you got the game and you see those compilations and it's like, no, under the right circumstances, you can pull off a string of events that looks incredibly fluid, incredibly mm-hmm. cinematic and unlike anything and else. still responsive somehow as well. Totally, 100%. And, and it's not kind of like locking you into animations. You're not just pressing a button mm-hmm. to see a cool thing happen. It's mm-hmm. like you're chaining them together. And yeah, you, you have to get a very specific set of circumstances in the game world for those kind of scenarios to play out. But it's like, it's possible. It, yes. it, when it works, it's it's still, you know, really, really mind-blowing two years later. Yeah, and I love, like, there's a fight towards the end of Last of Us 2 when you're in a mall and it's like it's all uh, flooded and you're sort of going in and out of the water yes. and it's, it's almost like um, when the Splinter Cell game started dabbling and like, okay, what if you could just hide at any moment by just jumping into some water and then pulling dudes down into it and stuff. And, like, I miss, like, multifaceted stealth games. Like, I miss when stealth wasn't just go behind a guy and choke him out. Yeah. Like, when you had, like, you know, aerial moves and coming up from the water and, like, whatever, different gadgets and stuff. Um, so yeah, I hope they do more to it, and I want to. That's what I want to see. That's what will get me in, because um, I'm just curious what they've done to the gameplay side of it. I I don't doubt that they'll have just thrown a ton of money at the visuals, but I think it's my own kind of personal issue with um, the AAA gaming industry's obsession with hyper fidelity that yeah. I think um, nowhere near enough um, impetus is put on gameplay. And so I want to know what they've done. I want to know how it plays um, and that kind of thing. Um, next news item down very, very quickly um, is this weekly GoldenEye update because that game exists and doesn't exist at the same time. Uh, was just Jeff Grobe saying on Twitter that GoldenEye is in limbo um, because of the Ukraine-Russian war. Um, do you care about getting GoldenEye at this stage? Scott Tilford, I've never, I've, I want to say it. I want to admit this. I've never cared about GoldenEye, my friend. <laughs> Every time you talk about it, I'm like, I, I love this for you. Some I people really will care do. about Goldeneye. I'm like, dilly though, man. I don't know. Well, see, okay, so the thing is, the other day we did, or I did, a, a community poll over on the What Culture Gaming, uh, twi- uh, sorry, over the What Culture Gaming YouTube community page because I was curious. It's 2022. Yeah. Do people still view Goldeneye as the best James Bond first-person shooter? Has Nightfire or Agent Under Fire or Rogue Agent overtaken Goldeneye? And the answer was hell no. It was like a 90% from a, like, I forget how many, 20,000 people voted. Right. Um, and it'd still be ticking over now. Now, GoldenEye dominated that thing. So I was like, oh my God, okay, people still really care about GoldenEye. Even though I didn't play GoldenEye, I played it when I was a kid. Yeah. At my mate's house, we had an N64. I didn't play it properly, me, yes. until like last year. So it's it's still out there somewhere. All I will, all I was, all I will say is, yes. Scott Tilford, is that this is purely anecdotal. This is purely, you know, a personal thing. GoldenEye can get in the bin. There are <laughs> at least five other James Bond games I would rather them remaster. Oh, you're not wrong. Night, Nightfire is in there. You know, I everything would rather see everything or nothing. I would rather see the Sean Connery from Russia with Love One, which was, <laughs> you know, really, really good. Like, there uh-huh. are so many good James Bond games out there that are my James Bond games, and I'm afraid GoldenEye just ain't one. <laughs> You've got 99 James Bond games. GoldenEye. <laughs> 
No, he ain't won. It ain't. It ain't, but apparently that game is in limbo. Next thing down is the Fable reboot. Um, now, this is doing the rounds as um, Fable's reboot, the game that is coming to Xbox Series Systems as this sort of soft reboot or whatever it is, reboot of the IP has got a new narrative lead. However, if you dig into it a little bit, it is only that um, Playground Games have actually promoted someone from within. It's not that they've hired from external. The project is not, you know, um, falling apart or anything. Okay. Um, they've actually just promoted someone from within. So they've um, taken their lead writer, Anna McGill, uh, or Mergil, and now she's the narrative lead. She was also the former narrative lead on Control, which I think is worth shouting Ooh. out because Control is one of the best written games maybe of all time. It's so good. The only it's reason I didn't think I think it was a five-star game was because of the, the very end of it, but I'm not going to go on about the negatives because the positives were very, very good. Absolutely, and I think specifically the world building of Control mm. was incredible. I'm not sure how much, uh, you know, control <laughs> <laughs> over that this lead writer had, but you would have to assume quite a bit, right? Mm. And, you know, from... A, for that game to establish such a tantalizing, mysterious, and surreal world mm. in one game and have you care about it, you know, within the space of a few hours, mm-hmm. to me that bodes well for whatever they do with the next Fable because, yes, yes we, we we understand what Fable is as a franchise, but if this is going to be a soft reboot kind of changing things up, like, you need a world that is just as compelling as the one that we previously had mm. and does some new things and gets players kind of like convinced as quickly as possible. So to me, that is a is a really cool appointment. It should be. I think if there, it's a, a, like that's the thing, trying to have a Venn diagram of control and fable. Like there's very <laughs> little in the middle of there. Um, but still, the fact that control got over the finish line in such a meticulous, recommendable state does bode well um, for getting one of those staff members over to the other side. Um, but there was that recent report, I think it was at the start of this year, that um, Playground was struggling with development because obviously they're known for Forza games yeah. um, and that their game engine wasn't really working with the third person action-adventure type stuff that Fable is supposedly going to be, to which we all just said, well, duh. Like, <laughs> that's always always going to be a thing. Um, so I still don't know what the hell this is. I feel like I've said that a few times this podcast, but oh, I don't know what the Fable reboot um, you know, is going to be like. I guess, what's your best-case scenario for it? Literally uh, the exact opposite of what the other Fable games were. <laughs> really? I, didn't, I didn't like those whatsoever, no! my friend. Nah, Why? man. Oh, I tried so hard to enjoy so Fable 2. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, it really doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Fable 2, I tried so hard to get into, man. Like no I, I played it to completion. And I thought it was all right. I just couldn't get away with its uh, s- specific brand of humor. It's wry wit. Let's say it's Rye oh. British horrible wit. Oh um, god, I, that Fable Two is one of the best RPGs of all time. Uh, my friend. This, is, this is why it's the wind-up, my friend. This is why we wind each other up. That's uh, funny. Yeah, just just for me. Um, in terms of the RPGs that I love, Fable mm. is uh, it's not even on the it's not even in contention. No way. And so to me, the fact that you know, obviously, I didn't want to see Lionhead Studios get yep. shut down or anything like that. Mm. But I am excited to see what a new take on this franchise can bring to the table. Uh, and yeah, even though Playground Games doesn't have much experience in this realm, mm. uh, the games that they have made have been high quality, they've mm-hmm. been solid, so I have faith that they'll bring something new to the table, especially when you're, you've got you know talent like this working on it. Yeah, and I think as well, like the Fable IP has weight, or at least has yeah. recognizability, and like it's one of those things where they have a complete blank slate. I mean, Jules actually played uh, Fable Legends, the game from I think 2016 or whatever it was. That game was about to be released, like it was nigh on finished. They had it at trade shows, and then it was just cancelled. I know they had more of like a, a companion, like a four-person team focus, yeah. and so assumedly um, this will be more single-player focus, like the original games or whatever. But yeah, that's the biggest question mark around all of this stuff: is how do you attempt to replicate the 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 
guts of Fable, but it's funny if you didn't gravitate to that because I wonder what other people think of that because yeah. Fable 1 and 2 especially were just super, you know, your nickname was Chick- could be Chicken Chaser or whatever. <laughs> and it was, all right, yeah, do you want to do this? And it's just like, I loved all that stuff. I was like, this is like goofy Monty Python style RPG. Yeah. Um, there's only Fable 3 that I didn't finish. Um, so for me, I wonder how much they roll the dice on steering towards that stuff. Me too. I have no idea which uh, way they're going to go with it because obviously, mm. you know, I'm, I'm an anomaly. So many people do <laughs> you might love... Not be. Maybe not, but I, I suspect so, just from the comments on videos when I've <laughs> slagged Fable off. Uh, but, you know, people like that style of humor. People like its uh, kind of like color palette. People mm. like those characters in that world. However, for me, I think that Microsoft franchises especially can't just continue doing what people expect of them, you know, Mm. for as good as Gears and for as good as Halo is, in a lot of ways it's more Gears and it's more Halo. Whereas Sony has been taking a kind of different approach where something like God of War comes out and yes, it's the same character. Yeah, it's a kind of like similar kind of like story in terms of the stakes and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but it's it's completely overhauled in terms of its narrative uh, themes, in terms of its combat, in terms of its gameplay design and level of maturity. I'm I'm not saying that uh, the next Fable needs to be gritty or dark or mature or anything like that, but I would be I, be I would be more excited to see a proper overhaul of that franchise rather than something that tries to split the difference or play it too safe. I think if you're getting new developers in, let them do whatever they want to do with that series and take it in a new direction. Maybe people would hate that, but so I you think don't, Microsoft needs that. You don't want to fart on a child's head. I mean, I'll do that. And of then course I'll do that. Kick a duck up the arse. I mean, no one said get rid of those <laughs> mechanics. I mean, by all means. Just refine them. Yeah, just, just yeah. In fact, you know what? I don't know go if this on. was in the originals, but give me a fart button. Yeah. Yeah. There kind of was it. You could allocate a fart button. There we go. If you were that determined. Make um, that. Fable uh, is one stick. of the biggest question mark things, I think, in the upcoming release slate for the next few years. Um, next news item down, though, is Respawn hiring for a new game in the Apex Legends universe. Um, now, this is a whole thing that did the rounds as, oh my God, it's not Titanfall 3. What the hell are you guys doing? However, the Apex Legends universe includes Titanfall, so mm. it could still be that. Um, just that they're not saying outright that this is like Titanfall from the get-go. I still, I mean, I don't, I I hate this because I think Titanfall 2 is the best first-person shooter of the last 10 years. Yes. But I don't think we'll ever get more of it. I think it was an incredible game for what it was. It bombed so hard that um, it would take a Herculean effort, especially when your producer is EA. Yes. Um, um, to get, sorry, publisher, to get the money to do another one of them. 100%. I would love more than almost anything to get a prompt <laughs> sequel to Titanfall 2 because like you, I loved it. I thought it was incredibly underrated and it mm. deserved to sell way more. Uh, that said, I wouldn't be holding my breath in terms no. of this game being a Titanfall title just because of how much Respawn has in their play at the moment. Like, they've got Apex Legends, which is running and incredibly profitable and, and incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a bunch of Star Wars games that they're doing. They're overseeing a bunch of other stuff. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they fit a Titanfall in there, especially no. if you're EA and you're like, why would we make Titanfall when its spin-off Apex Legends is doing so well? Mm-hmm. Like, people like the Apex name more than they do the Titanfall name, so call it Apex Legends. I'm going to hope. I was going to ask. Yes, sorry, no, before, do it. Before, let me jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you take a Titanfall spiritual successor that is named Apex whatever that essentially does the same thing but rebrands it under a more successful 
title. Like if it's <laughs> if it's Titanfall three in all but name. Yeah, I think if it plays well enough and you you nail the things that made Titanfall Titanfall were the grappling hook, the wall running, the sense of mobility, and the mechs themselves. The fact that they made the mechs like a power up that you were triggering for a finite amount of time. So it was always like the power play on the battlefield would switch back and forward all the time, and it was like you're about to close a dude down or close down a point. Then they summon their mech in, and everyone runs for the hills because um, all of a sudden it's went in their their favor. I think you can bring those things across quite easily um, if it's the same game engine and everything. I mean, Apex, Apex's best moments to me are when it plays like Titanfall, like yeah. when I can actually have a PvP showdown against someone and not just have a battle royale where I'm running around for ages. So yeah, I don't mind that too much. I think that if I go with a glass half full thing, then maybe because you know they've done so much work with Apex Legends, they can do like a live event or something. They can tease some sort of story-based thing. Because um, I think Apex Legends is set, it was 30 years or 28 years after Titanfall 2's ending. Right. Um, so you kind of have all those different factions still like you know working. Not that anyone cares about the Titanfall factions, but they're, <laughs> they're active in uh, Apex Legends. Um, you could do something with one of them, some sort of character, do something, um, and let some live events segue into, like you funnel people into the Titanfall story. Um, and that's how you relaunch Titanfall as a big deal. Yeah, because Titanfall 1 didn't take off at all. Titanfall no. 2 was sandwiched in between Call of Duty and Battlefield, but people like us have always said it's phenomenal, go play it. Yeah. And everyone who tweets us going, I've just played it, it's really, really good. <laughs> but yes, it is. Um, I wonder if they've gone internally, trying to think of, think of it through EA's lens. Yeah. How do you get a mass audience to care again? Well, you do something in your battle royale that says the answer is over here yeah. and you just kind of hope that it migrates across. I, I sorry, sorry, I no, no. it in again. Uh, I, I, I love Respawn. I love Jedi Fallen Order. I love, well, I like Apex Legends. However, <laughs> I would echo what you said there. You know, their PvP kind of smaller scale, just regular, mm. old, reliable multiplayer suites are incredible. Yeah. And it's almost feeling like we're getting robbed of what they do best. Like I said, you know, they do third person action games really mm. well. They do first person battle royale games really well, but I want that kind of concentrated, you know, very quick, very snappy PVP stuff to kind of come back mm -hmm. uh, because Multiplayer suites for Titanfall 1 and 2 were just unbelievable. Yeah, man. Like, the Titanfall 2 were on, like, when you get used to the locomotion and how much you can knee slide everywhere and jump and kick off the wall and take out dudes. And, like, I love... Even the modes themselves, like, the melee is so meaty. Yeah. And it's like, they have that bounty hunt mode where it's like, you're just killing targets to build up a bounty and then banking it at certain points in the map. Like, that's a great mode. I know that some of the shooters have done similar stuff. But, yeah, Titanfall always has so much going for it. And I feel like that name is maybe the part that's the hardest bit. Like you said, maybe there's need to call it Apex Colon something else yeah. and then I'll name it after one of the characters or something I just like yeah I would like them to do something more single player focused because Titanfall 2's campaign um, in itself is still one of the best campaigns of in recent memory um, but yeah, what we're saying is go play Titanfall 2. Go find a copy <laughs> of that always. game. We're saying that every we're single We're saying that every podcast. week. I might get a tattoo of it at some point um, <laughs> to make sure people do. Final news thing. It's quite vague, but we can use it as a jumping off point in general. Um, it's just the Final Fantasy VII uh, remake. There was an interview done with Gamatsu um, involving Square Enix uh, members, Tetsuya Nomura, Yoshinori Kitase, and Mariko Saito, um, talking about the state of the game, just doing various um, questions about what's happening with Crisis Core and Final Fantasy Rebirth. Um, and all the, the general project that is now the Final Fantasy remake. It is an overall project because you've got a mobile tie-in and whatever else. Um, and um, they said um, that the focal point of the story in Rebirth hasn't been changed. The focal point of the overall Final Fantasy VII story hasn't been changed. Um, and also said the Crisis Core's remake will stay the same in terms of its story. Yeah. So this just has thrown a lot of people off because the scene at the end of um, Remake showed... Uh, this is, I guess, spoilers for Remake or spoilers for Final Fantasy VII. 
um, showed Zach being alive in some fashion, um, Zach dies in Crisis Core. So it's like, like he has to die for the events of everything else to kick off. So there's all that stuff. But it's like that those things fundamentally can't line up right. as they exist because he can't be alive if he died over there. So that's the main thing that's throwing all the fandom off. I don't know where your head's at on all this stuff. I'm, I'm excited for all of this stuff. But my question is, you know, is... In Final Fantasy VII Remake, you mm. had those kind of spirits that were keeping the timeline on track mm-hmm. while Sephiroth and uh, Aerith were trying to kind of like take it in a new direction. And yes. at the end of that game, obviously, all bets are off. We're in this kind of like branched off timeline. Mm-hmm. We're in this kind of like sequel to Final Fantasy VII as much as we are in a remake of Final Fantasy yep. VII. Is that going to play any kind of role in Crisis Core in terms of you're playing the same game as the original, like mm. you said, and like they mentioned there, but will we see kind of like those spirits and those specters keeping everything on track? And is mm. that how they tie it in? Or at the end of the Crisis Core remake, do we get the regular ending where Zack dies mm. and then the remake part two uh, the, of, of seven, this is so confusing, uh, the <laughs> Final Fantasy VII remake Rebirth, yeah. will that kind of, you know, pick up from his supposed death and then kind of like pivot into an alternate reality where he kind of like steps through and is alive mm-hmm. or something like that where they connect it in part two, but they let Crisis Core itself kind of exist as it is mm-hmm. and then retcon it in the next game. Is that how they get around it? There are so many ways they could get around so it. The, I'm talking myself into a padded cell right now. No, but you're talking yourself into the rest of the Final Fantasy VII fandom because <laughs> that's what everybody's been debating. And I apologize for the state of the Final Fantasy VII discourse because, oh my God, I love being in the middle of it, but there's only like, <laughs> like six people on Earth keeping up with this stuff and three of them are the people being interviewed right now. But um, yeah, I think uh, my personal assumption is that Zack is in the afterlife. Um, right. that, that scene you saw at the end is just sort of motivated by the fact that Aerith can kind of see various spirits and where she goes later on in the story. Um, and also in Integrate, when Zack shows back up and he's outside of Aerith's church, um, when he you, when you see behind him when he goes back into the church, it's all light white behind him. Mm. So I think he's, I, that's also where he ends up in the Advent Children movie. So I think that's where he is and um, he's in the afterlife and that's, that's their reunion later on. Um, there's also, oh my God, there's also, the fact that if you take Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy VII Rebirth um, and insert a colon, okay. it's Final Fantasy VII RE colon make and RE colon birth, and it'll almost definitely be RE colon re- uh, union, uh, reunion yeah. later on for Aerith and Zack at the end of the trilogy um, because of the way things go. Um, that's what I think they're doing overall. I don't think that Zack is in necessarily an alternate timeline. I just think that all the events of Crisis Core happen and Zack dies and then Thing happens with him and Cloud and then all of the then Final Fantasy VII happens from yeah. 1997 and then <laughs> then all the stuff happens with Advent Children and Dirge of Cerberus and, blah, blah, blah. and then the Final Fantasy VII remake happens but because it's remake, <laughs> it's about, the it's a sequel because Seraph, Seraph, Sephiroth and Aerith reference the original plotline but it's about making a new. That's what that all is. And you mentioned the spirits. They yes. all die at the end of the first part. Yeah. Um, or at least they're very much shown to be burned away because all the events of the original game are back on track. Um, and then we replay everything as it was in the second half of the original game because that's what our rebirth <laughs> is going to be. But uh, I don't know what the birth part refers to. Maybe Sephiroth's true form or something. Yeah. Um, there's all the Genova stuff. There's so much. And then then you've got our reunion at the end of it, the reunion of everybody at the very end of that game. That It all makes perfect sense, John. I'm sure it does too. Again, I can only apologize. I don't believe that this makes sense to the people making the game, but I will be there day one (laughs) playing through all of this stuff. And certainly the more they talk about Crisis Core, Mm. 
they make me want to play it as someone mm. who thought it was just going to be a kind of disposable spin-off remake thing that wouldn't be that essential or wouldn't be <laughs> that inviting to a kind of newer fan like I. Uh-huh. But like the more we talk about it on this pod, the more that I see interviews uh, discussing it and its relationship to the Seven Remake trilogy thing that's going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to play it, and I'll see if it's any good. Crisis Core now, and I think they'll say this as we get towards, I think it's November, whatever it's penciled in for, um, is now the fundamental cornerstone of the entire Final Fantasy VII remake project because um, of everything that gets set in motion at that point in the timeline. You've got a young Sephiroth, you've got um, young Cloud, you've got Zack, um, you have other characters that are now going to play a bigger role in the future because um, they're in Integrate, and they're from... Crisis Core and Dirge of Cerberus, which is the Vincent spinoff. These They've games just, are crazy, man. It's, oh my God, it's ludicrous. It's like someone like trying to summarize the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of like that. You know, the, these games are so big and so mm. beloved that like they, they become franchises unto oh, yeah. themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, you have one installment in a bigger franchise and then you can just like, you know, continue to tell stories in that world mm-hmm. for decades and decades and decades. That is- They hope so. Yeah, they certainly do. Yeah. That to me though is interesting. And it, it's just, it's something you don't really see in the, gaming space. No, I think like as much as Square Enix, ha- they do a lot wrong um, in terms of like the Chocobo GP stuff um, or Babylon's Fall or whatever. Um, they need Final Fantasy VII to land. It's like always been their biggest like overall um, release kind of thing, especially in the West. And so the way that they're expanding it out and they're just letting Nomura do his Kingdom Hearts business. And now that that's been set in motion, as much as he stepped back as the director of um, Rebirth, um, it's clearly all been set in motion. So it's just sort of like, okay, now this means this and this means this and this is actually in the future now and you need to play this to make sure this works. And I, it's their way of getting you to buy all of the installments because yeah. that's that's the core thing. Um, but that's not to say that the actual storytelling side of it isn't fascinating and interesting and just like weirdly one of the most original things that's been done with a project of this scale yeah, man. and this important. So that's, yeah. That's why I'd, I hope they don't go back on what they did mm. in Final Fantasy VII because while it might have annoyed a lot of people, I think it was a big risk. And mm. it was for me, again, not a diehard fan. It was a risk that suddenly made the project way more interesting mm. than if it was just an incredibly high fidelity, you know, shot for shot remake well, of that first game. Yeah, they found a way um, to make the original Final Fantasy VII absolutely valid for going forward right now. So you're yeah. encouraged to go play the original and you're encouraged to play the Crisis Core remake, which is the closest thing to a literal remake, um, which will cover the same plot points. And then you're prepared as much as possible for the next part. So like they have found a way to revitalize the original game and everything, because um, that stuff only plays into the idea that the new ones are sequels and everything else. So yeah, it's a thing. It's an absolute headache. Um, but I can, again, I can only apologize. I can really try and <laughs> pick this stuff apart. Um, for now though, this has been the windup. I've been your host, Scott Taylor, for John Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Did you know that Thor Ragnarok is a two and a half star movie out of five? No, because it's absolutely a business, one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's For now, right. Ivan Scott from Occulture.com. That's not even, that's the video ending. That's the video ending. That's the video ending. What do I usually say? I always say, always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll see catch you. you next week. Goodbye. Don't see Thor Love and Thunder. Please see it. See Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.